Hello there. I'm here to talk about our most important mission, which is our literacy nonprofit that puts Star Wars books in the classrooms across the country. If you're listening to this, it's likely that at least one Star Wars book had an impact on you as a kid, as is true for all of us on the network. We want to pass that forward to the next generation so that the lessons of Star Wars can continue to shape students as it did for all of us. But just like Star Wars teaches us, we cannot do it alone. It takes a community, and that is where you all come in. Right now, we're hosting our annual holiday fundraiser to put Star Wars books into those classrooms. As an educator myself, I can tell you that this is far harder than it seems. Schools and teachers have been struggling for years to afford purchasing high-interest reading books, the impact of which cannot be overstated. Without those books, students are less inclined to read. However, and I can attest to this fact personally, when a box comes with Star Wars books, everyone wants to read. So how can you help? We'll head over to go.rallyup.com slash revenge of the reader and purchase some tickets for our fundraiser giveaway. With said tickets, you not only buy books for students, you also get the chance to win some really amazing prizes. We've got Light of the Jedi and Rise of Kylo Ren, signed by Charles Sewell himself, Leia Collectibles, signed by Claudia Gray, art prints from the fantastic Roberto Venegas, and a ton of other signed books and collectibles. The more tickets you purchase, the better your chance to win. 100% of your donations is completely tax deductible. Also, 100% of your donations goes to purchasing and shipping books to students, teachers, and classrooms. And if you know a teacher who you would like to nominate to receive said books, you can do so over on our website, clashingsabers.net. Thanks for taking the time to listen, and thank you in advance for your donations. May the Force be with you. My chain code has been encoded in this armor for 25 years. You see, this is me. Boba Fett. This is my father, Django Fett. Your father was a foundling. Yes. He even fought in the Mandalorian Civil Wars. Then that armor belongs to you. I appreciate its return. This is for our love of a galaxy far, far away. It's a galaxy as big as our imaginations but it feels close like a member of the family. This is Forever Star Wars. Hello there. Ever since the beginning of Forever Star Wars, I've considered doing an episode centered on bounty hunters. I still might someday, but one of the reasons I haven't is because there's so many of them. Bounty hunters tend to come to the forefront of stories in books, comics, or animation, but not a lot in live action. So instead of trying to feature all of them, I decided to focus on one. And why not start with the most popular and best known of all bounty hunters, Boba Fett. Well, there's just one problem with that. I never cared about Boba Fett. Now wait, before you turn off the episode in disgust, let me explain. I've never hated the character, I just never understood his appeal. Until... Nice shot. I was aiming for the other one. The character's spectacular return to live action in Disney Plus's The Mandalorian was a revelation. Season 2 of the show is heavy on familiar faces. The cameos abound, 
so much so that the season started to feel like a greatest hits tour. But the way Boba Fett has been woven into the story of The Mandalorian has me intrigued. So I thought it'd be fun to try something new on Forever Star Wars and bring in a guest to talk about this character and his place within a galaxy far, far away. Clashing Sabres alumni Zach from Sith Talk sits down to share his history with and feelings about Boba Fett. I think you'll find as you listen to our discussion that there's a lot more to Boba Fett than just being a stone-cold killer with a cool jetpack. So without any further ado, here is my conversation with Zach. So what I wanted to start out with is get both your and my take on our history with Boba Fett. I will start by saying I was never really a big Boba Fett fan. To me, there wasn't enough to go on to like or dislike the character because what we got in the OT was relatively simple. And I know that was probably what made a lot of people gravitate towards him. But for me, it was just he was an interesting background character who just performed a, a particular role in the story. And then I didn't really think about him beyond that. And then um, we got a little bit more of his backstory and the prequels. And I was like, okay, well that was an interesting backstory, but I just, other than like thinking that he looked cool, I never was somebody that just really like obsessed about Boba Fett or wanted to dress as Boba Fett. I, j I just thought he was an interesting character. How did you feel? Like how, how does that compare to your experience? Um, I, I definitely feel the same. I, you know, you learn about Mandalorians and, and the culture like that, or at least I did growing up uh, in Legends books and stuff like that. So I was very much intrigued by the Mandalorians themselves, but Boba Fett, not as much simply because of like what you said. He, he looks awesome. He looks great, but I didn't really understand. Like I had a friend that was super fascinated with Boba Fett so much that it, First thing he did when he was 18 is he got a Boba Fett tattoo. Mm. Loves Boba Fett, but I never understood it because I thought the Mandalorian culture was so much cooler than Boba Fett. He looks cool, but yeah, it's like everything that you said. It wasn't... He didn't really do anything in the OT. Now, once Boba Fett appears in the Mandalorian series, that sort of, for me, changed everything. And... Uh, I'll get into that later as to why that was, but did, did the Mandalorian also, like, did that series have, was that sort of the moment you started really sitting up and thinking of this character somewhat differently? Absolutely. I mean, I remember when we did a Sith Talk episode that it was me, Lindsay, and Sam on uh, kind of reviewing that episode where he shows up. You know, like, we had seen a little bit of, like, the teases that he was coming, but on the episode where he actually shows up, um, and starts mowing fools. Um, yeah, that changed everything for me. That massively made me a huge Boba Fett fan because I feel like Lucasfilm made him exactly what he needed to be. And that is a stone cold killer. And if you were going to ever put John Wick into Star Wars, you would take Boba Fett and do that. And especially with... You know, Rebels and Clones, Clone Wars, they, they added a lot to his story, but there's a huge gap. You know, it's like adolescence, and then there's like the Mandalorians and what's going on with them. But there's a lot of air left when it comes to Boba Fett, uh, because really, there's some things we know, but we don't know a lot. And that changed everything for me 
as far as wanting to know that. Because, man, that episode, I still watch that first interaction that he has where he's just mowing fools with, with yeah. Gaffy Six. Yeah, yeah. I. It just made me appreciate for the first time, like, why people think the character is so cool. I felt like they were... They were bringing the character up to the level of what everyone expects the character to be. And for me, I was like, oh, okay, now I get it. Like, now I'm beginning to understand uh, the appeal. Now, I don't know, like, I'm older than you, so I probably had a very different entry point into Star Wars. But my entry point was obviously the, the original trilogy. And as I've already mentioned, like, you know, his appearance, well... Uh, his very first appearance, which was in the holiday special, there's a lot of mythology and lore around that because of how, you know, that was our, that was everybody's first peek at who he was. I have two droids. We've come in search of a ship that crashed near here. Maybe I can help you. I am Boba Fett. The ship you seek is nearby. Are the Imperial troops near this planet? They are here, friend. I never actually saw the holiday special, so it wasn't until years later that I actually saw... Um, that animated short that was in it. It was interesting to me because the, the Boba Fett that's in that animated short is nothing like what we got in Empire Strikes Back. So I, I always thought about like how that must have been disconcerting to people back then to maybe see the short first and then think this is what they were going to get in Empire and it'd be totally different because um, he just is really just a, a silent character for the most part. He looks cool. He's he, there's not he doesn't have a firefight or anything. There's nothing in Empire other than he just takes Han into the ship at the end. Then he has that a short appearance in Jedi. So, what was your feelings about how he was used in the OT? It, it, can you separate that from all of your other knowledge of him in other media like legends and and such? I, yeah, I, I, I can separate it um, pretty easily when it comes to him. There's a bunch of characters in Star Wars where, you know, you, you read the canon and or the, the books versus the movies and you're like, oh man, this adds really well. Like uh, Master and Apprentice really adds to Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan's relationship. I love that. Change, changes the movie for me a little bit because I know their dichotomy. But when it comes to Boba Fett, up until the Mandalorian, I felt like even post Legends, like before we branded the canon to Legends, it still felt like Legends to me when it came to Boba Fett because there was these comics that came out. Um, there was all these different stories about him, but none of it lined up or felt natural with the character we got in the original trilogy because. He's way more John Wick. He's way more mowing people down. He he kills without any conscience, and he, he does all this stuff. But in in the movies, he's quiet, and then he just gets hit on the jetpack and gets <laughs> crashed. So like it's it's very almost it's it's literally unbelievable to me when I would read or hear about Boba Fett and the comics. I felt like they were dressing this character up so much to make him way cooler 
than he actually was in the important moments that he needed to be at his coolest. Well, yeah. Now let's talk about that, about the the, the hitting of the jetpack. And that, that is so different from the way Legends treats the character. The, in the movie, he's almost treated as, it's, very a, it's a slapstick moment. It's like Looney Tunes almost. It seems to be completely out of sync with what fandom in general feels about the character, that it was such an odd choice at the time. That with the way he's treated in Legends later, where like you said, they're trying to sort of like beef up the character somewhat or maybe make up for the way he went out in that movie. But also like the way he was first introduced in that animated short, it's almost as if Lucasfilm didn't really understand exactly who he was either. So I, I just think it's interesting that throughout the years, there's been this identity crisis over over Boba Fett and, and who he is and who he, who they want us to believe he is. Uh, and I think the John Wick comparison is a very good one. That's that, I think that's a great way of looking at the character. The jetpack scene is weird because I feel like if you would have done it even just a little bit, like even if a bullet ricocheted off of his jetpack, why couldn't it have been him shooting at Luke and at least pulling like five seconds of threat and then the ricochet from a lightsaber bounced off and hit and then he got there but the fact that he was like turning his back in the middle of a battle and just ricochets it's like i i agree with you i don't think they knew what to do but to be fair at the time i don't think it really mattered because toy sales were so big and that's what you really have to look at when it comes to boba fett and they sold a lot of boba fett toys it didn't matter and it, i think to even the kids watching those movies for the first time i think he was almost more fun to have his figure with your friends and play boba fett and add to his illusory and create your own story for him yeah even the toy itself has become mythological because the original action figure had the the rocket that would yep like shoot out and then they realized that was a choking hazard so they stopped making them but only a few of those exist today because of because of uh, that that limited run. So even the toys have this sort of mythological story behind them. So that was sort of where he was at the end of the OT. And as we've already talked about, there was a lot of sort of maybe rebranding of the character in Legends. But then we got um, the prequels. And I thought it was interesting that we got to see his backstory, but I'm not sure beyond just like you said just maybe wanting to have you know Django Fett toys sell like what it's what purpose it served in the prequels but but what was your what was your take on it the first time you saw Boba Fett in the prequels well I was uh super super little and Attack of the Clones was my favorite movie for the longest time um when I was little obviously that's changed when it comes to his story I liked the foundation that they gave him um, being that he's a, you know, he's an un, what, what I, I'm blanking on the words. He is a natural clone of Django Fett. Unaltered. Unaltered clone. Yeah. yeah thank you. I haven't clearly uh Trenty Starbucks is not enough to get me going today. <laughs> um, but I didn't understand his purpose in showing so much of him in attack of the clones, when there was nothing that happened in Revenge of the Sith with him at all. I understand that the, the building blocks are great, but they do put some time to make you care about the tragedy of 
when he picks up his father's helmet and is just kind of like staring at it. And then it, it kind of goes nowhere with that. And it kind of goes nowhere with that for a long time. So while I like his story, I felt like I didn't really need it right there. When it, when you're looking at that whole entire arc, I definitely think Django is the more interesting character in that timeline. I'm just a simple man trying to make my way in the universe. Ever made your way as far into the interior as Coruscant? Once or twice. Recently? Possibly. Then you must know Master Cypher Dias. And I'm still fascinated with Django to this day because of, you know, the book of Boba Fett, but not to get lost on, you know, or, you know, start another thread. I overall felt like he wasn't really needed in the prequels um, as much, and I didn't understand where they were going with the story. He's clearly a fighter. He's trying to mow down a Jedi and stuff, but that's about it. Yeah, I, I think at the time it was really just straight up fan service like it was just really lucas's way of saying the character is tremendously popular um here's an opportunity to show his backstory and how and where he got his start and it was really just a nod to the fans that love the character so much that they lucas thought oh, well i showed how you know where anakin comes from why not why don't i show where boba fett originated um but you're right uh, Django does is the is the far more interesting character we know a little bit more about him through the dialogue in the Mandalorian when Boba Fett refers to him but we still don't know as much about his origins as we do now Boba Fett so I think the entire thing the, the entire part about Mandalorian history and foundlings and who's considered a Mandalorian and who isn't, uh, that tension that keeps being revisited even in the Mandalorian series, I think is making Django's backstory and Boba's backstory far more relevant to me um, than it was back in the day. Lethal Trackdown. The young Boba Fett has taken the law into his own hands and made two attempts on the life of Mace Windu. The Jedi Master who killed his father. But then after the prequels, um, the Clone Wars series comes along, and I think they took what George had presented initially, and I don't think George presented Boba in the prequels with the intention of having his story carry over into the animated series. I just think it was an opportunity to say, well, let's let's do what Revenge of the Sith didn't do, actually show how those events on Geonosis affected Boba. So were you, did you watch those episodes, those Boba Fett episodes from the Clone Wars? Uh, yes, but I've only seen them once. So it's, I don't remember, to be honest, I don't remember every single detail. And up until, you know, like I said, the Mandalorian, Boba Fett was a gloss over character for me. I mean, especially boy Boba Fett. I don't know. I guess I just don't. I didn't understand his move with Attack of the Clones, and and I understand that Dave Filoni, you know, George's whole vision of the Clone Wars was, you know, he wanted to show in Revenge of the Sith originally. It was supposed to be he had talked for twenty years uh, a battle upon five planets, and he never actually got to show the war fill in these gaps. So it was a perfect opportunity for him to fill in those gaps. But with Boba Fett, I it was more like gloss over for me. 
Yeah, well, I mean, I had like you, I had seen them before, but I, because the character was never really high on my list of favorites, they'd, I'd really forgotten a lot about it. But uh, so when I went back and rewatched it for the, for this uh, for this interview, what stood out to me was how really his story, at least as a kid, is really about innocence lost. And once he doesn't have that parental figure anymore, he's He's then searching for other parental figures. That's the only world he could even look for any mentor or figure that of authority that might help replace his father. And it's interesting that in those stories, it's Aura Singh who steps up and does that for him. Boba's getting his education about, you know, the way the underworld works from her and through her. And it's clear that he's he's just a kid, so he's really not ready to, like, take people's lives. I wasn't expecting you to bring friends along. I couldn't help it, Aura. What are you going to do with them? What do you think? Let them go? Ah. <sighs> They're living witnesses, honey. That was never part of the plan. I just wanted to kill the Jedi that murdered my father. Well, that will have to wait. Grow up. You'll get your revenge in time. Even though he wants to, he wants revenge against Mace. Um, he's he's conscious about like whether his his actions could lead to casualties and innocent people getting hurt. And she's like, "Who cares? Like that's not you know you don't need to focus on that." But it's not the only time that he's he's in a situation where he's grow up faster than he's supposed to. And he then he like he gets incarcerated. There's a jailbreak, but we don't actually see him escape. And then he reappears later um, again with another female character with um, Asajj Ventress. She she falls in with a group of bounty hunters and he's he's in that group. And so, again, he's he has another mentor who is. Uh, not as dark as Aura Singh, but she has no use for him. He, he's really just an, an annoyance to her, and she pretty quickly puts him in his place. No one of true importance would lower themselves to trade with a mere boy. Boy, you have no idea who you're talking to. I have been in charge of this whole operation. You have no idea who you are talking to. So his entire arc within the Clone Wars is being kind of a ragdoll where he's sort of just knocked around a lot by older, tougher, more hardened people. And I think that might be a good explanation for why he becomes the hardened person that we meet later. Using that as a jumping point back to the Mandalorian series, there are lots of rumors about a Boba Fett movie being in the works at one time. And then when The Mandalorian Season 2 came on, there were all these rumors about, like, is Cobb Vanth going to be in it? Or is it going to be Boba Fett? There's, you know, his armor was going to appear, but who's going to be in it? Like, what was your reaction when that that twist was revealed and they showed uh, that shot in the desert? How did, how did you react to that? Well, my first reaction was, oh, crap, they're actually doing it. And then my second was, oh, crap, they're showing him without his armor. Because the biggest thing when we were talking about Boba Fett was, or, you know, I mean, me and Sam have kind of talked about this for years, whether or not I've cared about it or not, is like, how do you do Boba Fett? He's mysterious. He doesn't talk much. He doesn't have, he's always in his armor. Like, do you want to do a Mandalorian or a uh, Boba Fett movie where he's taken off his 
armor and sitting in his apartment and hanging out and you know like people didn't want to see him without his armor off that was like a huge deal and it goes to show that Dave Filoni and um, John Favreau know exactly what they're doing because that was the best way to reveal him. First, first iteration with his armor off, he had to earn to get try and get his armor back because now we can naturally, as fans in this iteration, see him and see him as a man. And when he dons the armor, it's almost like a you know not a Bruce Wayne Batman style thing because those are different dichotomies. I don't believe that. Boba Fett has an alter ego, but it's a different vibe. If he has his armor off, he is going to be talking more, being more vulnerable. Maybe not in the sense that we're used to using the word vulnerable, but for him, even though it's very tough, you know, exterior still, it's a more vulnerable side. You get to see that. You need to be able to see someone's face in key moments. It needs to, you need to see the reactions. You can't always be in the mask if you were to keep going with this character or have an entire movie where he's in his mask it's gonna feel like a really long fan film so i thought that was genius the way that they did that um so that was my first reaction was oh crap they actually did it because of my DD background you don't get your plate armor right away you have to earn that <laughs> crap and yeah. what's fun you know is the struggle of when you're playing a campaign and you're complaining to all your friends about how you really want that plate armor but once you get it you earned it, and that feels good, and it's fun to watch with him. So it was genius. That was genius. Sorry, I ran it, but it was genius. No, it was, and I, I really like the point that you make about have about reintroducing him with without the helmet. Because for me, the thing that really got my piqued my interest in seeing him return was the fact that Tamura's back. He's back as that character because we knew we heard his voice in the special editions you know, where they dubbed uh, his voice back with Tamir Morrison's. You may take Captain Solo to Jabba the Hutt after I have Skywalker. He's no good to me dead. But other than Django, we haven't seen Tamura playing that character in the flesh. But of course, he's a clone. He's a clone. So he's he's going to be played by that actor. And just seeing that connection to what came before in the prequels and being having that brought into the Mandalorian, but also having him be that specific character was was genius and that to me having Tamura come back was the thing that made me say okay I'm now I'm paying attention now I really want to know more about Boba Fett and of course they took full advantage of having him outside of his helmet because then he's you see the scarring on his on his face and and you you know he's been through some stuff and it now makes me want to see like I like before I just I knew through legends like Generally, he got out of the Sarlacc pit somehow. But yep. now I want to see that. Like, I want to see where he got those scars. I want to see that life that he'd been living. And and the thing about bringing Tamura back is that he had a lot of input into how, uh, how he portrayed the character, especially the physicality of it. And I came across this article that I wanted to read a snippet from. Um, it's a quote from him. Um, he was interviewed for uh, dorksideoftheforce.com. And I'm going to put a link to the to that uh, to this article in the show notes if anybody wants to read it. But uh, in that interview, um, Tamura is quoted as saying, "I was trained as a young boy back in New Zealand in the art of our haka, warrior dance. Ha is the breath, and ka is the fire. I'm using my warrior background as a source of energy and as a source of confidence." 
And man, does that ever show in those scenes. <laughs> like you said before, those those scenes where he's going off on those stormtroopers are just riveting. He's just like the intensity in his face and just the, the resolve the character has of like, he's you just don't want to mess with this guy because he's going to tear you to pieces. Yeah, and he doesn't need a blaster to do it either. He needs a gaffy stick. I mean... I can't say enough about that whole entire scene, but what was so beautiful about it and made me care about the character is if you had shown him with the mask on and he had that return, it would have been great. But the moment you took the mask off, everybody would have said, oh, this is kind of weird. I don't know how I feel about this. But the fact that you showed him mask off to me created a different personality, like you said, with his gaffy stick bear. There's a different fighting style. It's a different Boba. And I really feel like Boba didn't... He had like three returns in that show, which is great because every time he's leveling up and you start with just the face and that's intrigue. Everybody's so excited. Then he can whoop some you know what without any armor, without just a gaffy stick. That's the coolest thing in the world to me. And then you get the actual return with the armor as if he mm-hmm. had three returns and all of, and and I think that's the beauty and that's why we're talking about him today because of the way they handled the character because you get one massive return with the armor. You get one and if they would have done it with just that, they lo- they would have lost the opportunity to show a different side of him that they so desperately needed to show immediately because if you're going to keep this character for a long time, he has to be more than just a one-dimensional character. Yeah, that that the, the Gaffy Stick fight, it was like their way of saying, you think you know why you like Boba Fett, but here's the reason you really should like Boba Fett. And then, of course, they give you that that payoff of the, the when he puts the Don's the armor and starts using all of his gadgets, which I had no idea he had so many rockets in so many strange places. <laughs> like in right. the knees and in the elbows and... Um, But to go, I just want to say one thing before you uh, move on or before I lose my thought. But to go on what you were saying with his tribal background, I think that's such an important... um, I think that's what makes Dave Filoni and Jon Favreau genius because I think just that touch of showing the tribal background of Boba adds more to his arsenal as a character. You know, because now we want to know how how did he learn this fighting style? Who did he get this from? Was this from Django? And it, it's just a very unique touch because a lot of these action heroes, they got gadgets or they got Kung Fu or they got um, sword play like with the Jedi. For being a guy who has rockets in every area, like you just said, he's got a very basic tribal melee fighting style. And I think that mm-hmm. adds a lot to his character and i just wanted to say that before it got lost yeah and that point that you made about wanting to see like where he learned these things and and wanting to see some background on that style of fighting and where it came from kind of leads us into the last part of our discussion which is that reveal at the end of the season where we actually see that we are going to get the book of boba fett series um, which i believe is probably the rumored boba fett movie that was at one time a movie and they've just decided that they would turn that into a series, which kind of like the Han Solo movie. When I first heard about it, I was like, oh, Boba Fett. I'm not, yeah. I'm just not really a Boba Fett person. I don't know that that's going to be something that appeals to me. Um, I kind of felt that way about Han Solo too. And then I ended up really liking Solo. Yeah. After that introduction in this series, I was just like, bring it on. I want to see everything. I want to see 
if the this feral melee style that he's he has now, if this is something he always had, is this something he learned from his father? Is it something that he uh, learned as a result of of escaping the Sarlacc pit and living for so many years without his armor? Because when we meet him in the Mandalorian, it's been a few years since he's been out of the been escaped from the Sarlacc, and so you have to wonder like what was he doing in that time? And I think that that tease at the end of the of the Mandalorian suggests that he's been sort of building a maybe he's been figuring out his place in the crime syndicates. Um, was that your take on it? My take on it was he has a second chance to go at it, and I don't know what he exactly wants to achieve. I think the show will show me, but I don't think he looked for his place as opposed to he just got straight to the point and killed everybody to get to the place. There was no, um, I need to earn my place in here. No, I need to kill my way to this seat. What kind of... <laughs> and I think that's the interesting thing about this whole book of Boba Fett on top or aside from the fact that it was the best kept secret ever and are not ever in Hollywood, but it was one of the best kept secrets in the last five years, being that it was still allowed to announce the book of Boba Fett on TV and we did not get any like any buzzfeed about it we didn't get any articles rumor i mean there were light rumors but nothing was concrete that it was happening and so that whole scene is a very good kept secret in its own but when you're applying to boba i think boba had a second chance and he said i'm not playing any more games i want to be the big card in here forget jabba forget anybody who's involved i'm not gonna waste another second chance at any of this yeah, and that that brings us to sort of our closing thoughts, and, and I'd like to kind of wrap this discussion up by addressing that part of it, setting up this new series with all the questions of where, like what they're going to do and what they're gonna, going to explore um, has really got me interested. And one of the things that I didn't really expect from the character was seeing his, alongside that sort of really ruthless um lethal quality you know he's not finding his place he's he's like you said he's claiming it um but he also has in his interactions with din and with and with din's connection to grogu he has a sense of honor one of the things that i saw in the clone war series was um he has a scene with hondo where hondo says i knew your father and he was an honorable man why should i help anybody i've got no one it is the honorable thing to do it's what your father would have wanted. You know, the bounty hunters do have a code, and they do have a, a code of honor. And some are more lethal than others, and some are more adhered to it than others. But I think that the Mandalorian was showing that he's he's going to be, he's definitely going to fit into that anti-hero mode of where he's, he's not playing by the rules necessarily, but he plays by his own rule of conduct and his own code. And for me, that's a very interesting thing to explore. So I'm very much looking forward to, to those future stories. So what would be your, your closing thoughts on the character in general or the, or the character's uh, appearance in the future? Well, I want to add one more thing and then I'll give my closing thoughts because uh, you said something that intrigues me with the Code of Honor. I think he does have a Code of Honor and I think we'll see that um, in the Book of Boba Fett when it comes out. But we also have to think Jabba's people, Bib Fortuna, they were not honorable people. They had no code. They did not honor anything. They were 
slimy gangsters that, and that's no offense, Jabba. I mean, I don't know if you got a shower or anything, but I, you know, I'm not talking about you know you being literally slimy. I'm talking about your attitude, Jabba. Don't get offended here. Uh, but they were very slimy gangsters. They didn't have any code. They did what they wanted because they could, and if they could put one up on you, they would. And I don't think Boba respected that, and I think that's why he had no problem killing them because they don't have a code. And I think with Boba men or women without code is someone he just doesn't respect he saw that din had a code immediately and i think that's what he respected about him i think he respects somebody with a code whether it disagrees with him or not and i think that's going to be really fun to play out as far as the book of boba fett he is one of the only characters in star wars where I have zero expectations or things I need to see from him. I, I, I want to keep it that way, really. Um, I have no expectations for him except that everything that I've seen so far I love and I, I want to feel that same feeling. I don't need anything else because I think they're doing a great job and I'm just excited to see him unfold as a character. I think it would be interesting to learn more about him and Jango's relationship he clearly holds his father in adoration and i want to know what that relationship was and i want to know where he's going and that's about it that's a very good point i'd like to give you the opportunity to plug some of the things that you're involved with well it's super simple i'm straightforward you can find me at sit talker 25 talking all things uh working out comic books star wars and now barbecue because i do a lot of barbecue um and I help run the Sith Talk page, and I occasionally help run the Clashing Sabers page. So if you see some posts on there, that's me. That's pretty much my only plug. Super simple. Great. Well, everybody check that out for sure. And I think something that you said uh, just a minute ago I wanted to sort of close out on, which is that it is it is nice to to not bring a lot of baggage to this character and to just sort of sit back and just enjoy the ride and see where they take it because all they had to do is pique our interest and they've done it. So from this point on, it's just all sitting back and just watching where the character goes and not having a lot of hangups about what you want to see from the character, but just being really open to who that character is in the coming shows. So uh, thank you very much, Zach. I appreciate it. I, I had a great time talking about Boba Fett. This is a, uh, a rare thing that I do on Forever Star Wars, which is the one-on-one -on -one interview. So um, I really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, no problem. Anytime. I'm always down to talk character development. I want to say thanks again to Zach for sharing his thoughts on Boba Fett. He made me think about the character in a lot of new ways, and even though we touched on a lot, we still didn't talk about Boba Fett's relationship to Fennec Shand, to other surviving clones, or Cobb Vanth, or even a possible special connection to the Bad Batch series, which I won't spoil in case you haven't seen it yet. But that just proves that there was a lot more to this character than I ever realized, and I'm stoked to see where the character will go in the future. Thanks so much for your support, and thank you for subscribing to this show and the other podcasts on the Clashing Sabers Network. If you'd like to follow my Star Wars ramblings online, you can find me on Twitter at DJMMarquis, M-A-R-Q-U-I-S, and on Instagram as MMarquis1205. Take care, and I'll see you soon.
The views and commentary of Forever Star Wars do not reflect those of Lucasfilm or Disney. All licensed sound and music are property of their respective copyright holders. Clashing Sabres and Forever Star Wars are not affiliated with Lucasfilm, Disney, or any of their subsidiaries. The commentary and production of this series is the property of Clashing Sabres and Forever Star Wars and may only be used with permission. Until next time, may the Force be with you. And always remember, your focus determines your reality.